Section 35 of The History of Prostitution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of Prostitution by William Sanger. Section 35. Chapter 26. Great Britain. Syphilitic Diseases. The best English and French writers are of opinion that syphilis, as it exists at present, has, in some shape or another, always existed among mankind, although it was not known to science or history, in a distinct manner, until the middle of the fifteenth century. The period at which syphilis first made its appearance in England is involved in obscurity, but we know that it began to attract attention early in the fifteenth century. The first official recognition of it found on record is a police regulation of the year 1430, during the reign of Henry VI, excluding venereal patients from the London hospitals, and requiring them to be strictly guarded at night. In the time of Henry VIII, there were six laser houses in London for the reception of venereal patients, namely at Knightsbridge, Hammersmith, Highgate, Kingsland, St. George's Gate, and Mile End. These localities were doubtless fixed upon as being some distance from the city. That the disease, however, must have been known long before the period above specified is certain, from passages which are to be found in the writings of the previous century. John of Gaddesden, who wrote in 1305, and who was a fellow of Merton College, Oxford, thus speaks of the possibility of contracting the disease from leprous women. Ile qui concubuit cum mulier, cum quaquavit leprosas puncturas, intracarnum et corium, sentil et alicondo, calefactiones in toto corpore. Mr. William Acton, upon whose pages as an English standard writer on this subject we draw largely, is of opinion that leprosy, which was formerly so common in Europe, consisted merely of what we now call secondary syphilis. Some of the Jewish observances were no doubt dictated by a scientific appreciation of the influences which predisposed the body to the effects of syphilitic virus. The practice of circumcision seems instituted with a direct view to the preservation of the chosen people from venereal contagion, to which, in a hot climate, and with the extreme deficiency of means for general cleanliness, they would be liable. As to the type of the disease in former times, there seems no ground for believing that it was more severe than at present, while its numerical importance must have been much smaller. The following extract is from a treatise by Queen Elizabeth's surgeon. If I be not deceived in my opinion, I suppose the disease itself was never more rife in Naples, Italy, France, or Spain, than it is in this day in the realm of England. I may speak boldly, because I speak truly, and yet I speak it with grief of mind, that in the hospital of St. Bartholomew, in London, there hath been cured of this disease by me and three others, within five years, to the number of one thousand and more. I speak nothing of St. Thomas's hospital, and other houses about the city, where an infinite number are daily cured. It happened very seldom in the hospital of St. Bartholomew while I stayed there, among every twenty diseased that were taken into the said house, which was most commonly on the Monday, ten of them were infected with the Lues Venerea. It was supposed, in former ages, that syphilis was transmissible by personal communication, touching the clothes, drinking out of the same vessels, or even breathing the same air with infected persons, and accordingly we find the lower orders of people driven out into the fields to die, and physicians refusing to attend the sick for fear of infection. Some writers, indeed, doubted this kind of contagious influence, and held that it required intercourse, or at least contact. 
but nobles, and especially the clergy, preferred to ascribe their maladies to misfortune rather than to licentiousness, and sought to put down such innovating doctrines. The consequence was that patients were shunned universally, and left to die or get well without assistance. It is not to be wondered at, therefore, that in numerous instances the disease should assume its most inveterate aspect, and hence the notices found among many old writers as to the supposed malignancy and incurability of what they were disposed to consider a newly imported malady. That the disease, in reality, differed little from that which exists in our day, is proved by the fact that cases of the once formidable black lion are occasionally to be met with in the London hospitals. Cardinal Wolsey, among other charges made against him by his enemies, was accused of whispering to the king, Henry the Eighth, and thereby casting his poisonous breath upon his royal grace, he, Wolsey, having at the time the foul contagious disease upon him. The belief as to contagion by this means is not entirely extinct, but is cherished by the labouring classes of England, many of whom entertain great prejudices on the score of health against drinking from the same vessel out of which an infected person has partaken. In 1497, James the Fourth of Scotland, in consequence of the frightful prevalence of venereal disease in his kingdom, issued a proclamation banishing the infected from Edinburgh. His Majesty charges straightly all manner of persons being within the freedom of this Burt, quilks are infected, or has been infected, uncurate with this said contagious plague, call it the Grangor devoid, red and pass furt of this town, and compare upon the Sandus of Leith at ten hours before none and there shall they have and find boats ready in the heaven, ordinate to them by the officers of this burt, ready furnished with victuals, to have them to the inch, inch keith, and there to remain quill God provide for their health. Those evading this ordinance shall be burnt on the cheek with the marking urn, that they may be kennet in time to come. A remnant of this barbarous system was retained in the regulations of Middlesex Hospital, London, by which an admission fee of forty shillings sterling, ten dollars, was directed to be paid by venereal patients. The reason assigned for it was that a hospital intended for the virtuous might not be made subsidiary to purposes of vice. The regulation, however, became a nullity, and was repealed, owing principally to the fact that the workhouse guardians were in the habit of paying the forty shillings and sending in pauper patients well knowing that the cost of cure in the workhouse would far exceed the admission fees. In the London hospital a similar regulation exists even now, but is openly evaded, however, by the house-surgeon describing the disease as a cutaneous one. The extent of this disease in Great Britain is a matter of opinion alone. There are no positive data whatever upon which to form any conclusion with respect to the general population, while the hospital lists are very imperfectly kept and it is only in the army and navy returns that we can find any real assistance. British Army The army reports quoted extend over a period of seven years and a quarter, and enter into the details of the various venereal affections of the soldiers, amounting to the aggregate strength of 44,611 quartered in the United Kingdom. The cases admitted into hospitals were Syphilis Primary, 1,415, Syphilis consecutive, 335, ulcer penis non syphiliticum, 2,144, bubo simplex, 844, cachexia syphilitica, 44, gonorrhea, 2,449, hernia humoralis, 714, stricture urethra, 100, 
Phimosis and Paraphimosis, 27. Total, 8,072. Ratio, 181 per 1,000 men, or nearly one in five in the whole number. These returns show that the venereal disease is of much more frequent occurrence in the British than in the Belgian army. British Navy. The Navy reports extend over a period of seven years and include 21,493 men employed on home service, that is to say, on the coasts or in the ports of Great Britain. Of this number, 2,880 were attacked with venereal disease. Ratio, one in seven. British Merchant Service. The returns of the Dreadnought Hospital Ship for Seamen of All Nations extend over a period of five years, during which 13,081 patients, laboring under surgical and medical diseases, were admitted. Out of these, 3,703 came under treatment for venereal affections, showing a rate of two in seven. As a mode of testing these returns, we turn to the analysis of the surgical outpatients of Messrs. Lloyd and Warmald, assistant surgeons of St. Bartholomew's, the largest of the London hospitals. These outpatients are attended gratuitously by the hospital officers. Venereal cases attended by Mr. Lloyd, men, 1,009, women and children, 245, total, 1,254. Venereal cases attended by Mr. Warmald, men, 986, women and children, 273, total, 1,259. Total venereal cases in men, 1,995, in women and children, 518, in total, 2,513. These cases were part of a total of 5,327 general patients. This last item alone would not enable one to form any idea of the number of sufferers from this terrible scourge. There are in London nine great hospitals, besides smaller ones, and dispensaries in every parish, or division of a large parish, and other means of gratuitous medical assistance. Suppose the smaller medical foundations put aside, and their patients thrown into the aggregate of the great hospitals, we should have 22,617 venereal patients. Suppose the private practice of the London Army of Medical Men to yield only half as many more, we have 35,000 venereal patients in London only. Without reckoning the Lock Hospital, parish doctors, barracks, and all the other institutions, one would very readily imagine that London alone furnished 50,000 venereal patients per annum. Again, on the number of single men and widowers in London above twenty years of age, upward of a quarter of a million, the venereal cases, if in the same proportion as among soldiers and sailors, would in the same period amount to thirty thousand and upward. There is, however, another way of conjecturing the amount of disease introduced into the community by prostitution, which English writers have adopted. The Medico-Chirurgical Review, a periodical of high standing, speaking of the extent of venereal disease and its effects on the population, says, There is every reason to believe that, to represent the public prostitutes of England, Wales, and Scotland, 50,000 is an estimate too low. We presume there will be no objection made to the assumption that, unless each of these 50,000 prostitutes submitted to at least one act of intercourse during every 24 hours, she could not obtain means sufficient to support life. The result of the evidence contained in the first report of the Constabulary Force of England was that about 2% of the prostitutes of London were suffering under some form of venereal disease but yet we will descend even lower, 
and presume that of one hundred healthy prostitutes, if each submits to one indiscriminate sexual act in twenty-four hours, not more than one would become infected with syphilis, an estimate which is, without doubt, far too low, yet if admitted to be correct, the necessary consequence will be that of the fifty thousand prostitutes, five hundred are diseased within the aforesaid twenty-four hours. If we next admit that a fifth of these five hundred diseased women are admitted to hospitals on the day on which disease appears, it follows there are every day on the streets four hundred diseased women. Let it be supposed that the power of these four hundred to infect be limited to twelve days, and that of every six persons who, at the rate of one each night, have connection with these women, five become infected, it will follow that there will be four thousand men infected every night, and consequently one million four hundred and sixty thousand in the year. Farther, as there are every night four hundred women diseased by these men, one hundred and eighty-two thousand five hundred public prostitutes will be civilized during the year, and hence one million six hundred and fifty-two thousand five hundred cases of syphilis in both sexes occur every twelve months. If, then, the entire population had intercourse with prostitutes in an equal ratio, the gross population of Great Britain, of all ages and sexes, would, during eighteen years, have been affected with primary syphilis. Be it remembered, we do not assert that more than a million and a half of persons are attacked every year, but that that number of cases occur annually in England, Wales, and Scotland, though the same individual may be attacked more than once. Although it is evident that all the estimates used for these calculations are, we know no other word that expresses it, ridiculously low, yet we find that more than a million and a half cases of syphilis occur every year, an amount which is probably not half the actual number. How enormous, then, must be the number of children born with secondary syphilis! How immense the mortality among them! How vast an amount of public and private money expended in the cure of this disease! End of section 35